Welcome to the Suicide Prevention Show, where we are waking up the world to the power of positivity, making suicide, especially teen suicide, a thing of the past. And now we're going to go where people don't want to go. So I'm really happy that you're here for this particular segment, because let's face it, there are all kinds of ways to kill yourself. And we're going to talk about one of them that most people don't talk about in this context. We're going to be talking with Cheryl Millett about what's fat got to do with it. Now, this is the Suicide Prevention Show, so you know this is likely to be fun. So Cheryl, please join me in the studio. And if you wave your magic wand, there you go. Hey! Hello, hello, everyone. Hello, Jackie. Hello, Cheryl. I'm so excited to see you. Oh, likewise. Great show. Congrats. I know we're the last one for the summit in some ways, but never the last. We are bringing it home and we're going to be bringing it home to everyone on this highly personal and potentially controversial topic. But now, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask, because this is kind of an elephant in the room question, okay? How did you end up in this whole fat conversation? What's your story? Oh, well, I'm going to have to say that things just fall in your lap, as, as a lot of people recognize the journey. And I've worked in food processing for 20 years. So I was very familiar with food processing. But what I wasn't familiar with is I wasn't familiar with how important fat is to the brain, is to the body, and how the Inuit people had a source of fat that would change the way children, autism, ADHD, how the mind would work, how the, the, the brain would work. And in that big word, inflammation, which is part, part of every condition supposedly according to all the the experts out there um but uh yeah so fat just seems like to your point it's like the elephant in the room people don't want to talk about it wow okay you just said a whole lot i want to unpack a little bit of this you're talking about a, a population the inuits right yes and so they live alaska well you can think of it all across the top alaska uh, we have a new territory here in Canada, Nunavut, and so the territories along the top, they actually live in Greenland as well, and even the north. So you just think of the Arctic Circle, really. All right, so when we talk about the top, we're talking about the top of the world. You know where it's white on a globe. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's cold. So what they brought into the world you said is part of what could be part of the conversation around a bunch of things because i heard add that's on my mind autism i have a grandchild on the spectrum yeah mm -hmm. i mean you're talking about brain chemistry and fat mm -hmm. and a very specific kind all right so how did what's your story because that's the fat story and we're going to get there so, by the way, did it? Mean, this is the story of fat. Yeah, this this is the story of fat. I'm going to say, as things do fall into your lap, I was so curious about what it was. But the first day that I took 
this oil, which is raw, by the way, I mean, people aren't familiar. I'm familiar with food processing, but it's like my brain turned on the very first day. I felt taller. That's how I described it. But you don't really know that you're deficient in these healthy fats until, until, until you get them, right? It would just be unknown to you. Okay. So we got normal schlepping along, you know, mm -hmm. life is good. And then someone said, Hey, try this fat. I can, I can only imagine that conversation. Hey, try this fat. And it changed your brain. It changed yeah. your body posture. Yeah. So I've spent the last 12 years exploring what that's all about. You know, as a holistic practitioner, I already knew a little bit of this or that and food processing. And, and if, if that oil had not been raw, I would not have touched it with the two, you know, with the two, two by four. But because it was raw, that makes a difference is the, uh, the raw oils make a difference. To wait, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you're, you're in the processed food industry. I was. And you wouldn't, okay. Oh, how long ago did you leave the processed food industry? It'd be, it'd be like 13 years ago. Got it. Why'd you leave? Why? Well, because I wanted to work on my own. I wanted to to be my own boss. My whole life, I've been both the entrepreneur and working for somebody else. And I just asked myself, what did I want to do to help people to make a difference for the rest of my life? And it wasn't sitting behind a computer. I was in trade. I did commodities trading. I did purchasing, very analytical stuff. But I've always used both sides of my brain. So it was one of those things going, okay, it's, it's time to get creative. And I explored, I probably did about six or seven years of uh, schooling before I left. I started my business two years before I left the corporate world as well. Okay. All right. So you're working in processed foods. What business did you start? Well, it it's a health business, right? It's just, uh, I became a holistic nutritionist. Hold, hold it. Yeah. Now I'm into contrast. Processed food and a health business. Those do seem to be mutually exclusive somehow in my mind. Yeah, but the interesting thing, as, as I will, I was, I'll say for a lot of us, the contrasts are beautiful because you know, like you know, like you're, you're in something and I, I've been to an oil refinery, I've been to a sugar refinery, and I've been to a cocoa plantation, I've been to uh, farm salmon, pulp and paper, cookie make bread plant you know I've been to a number of yeah, I've seen them with my own eyes and been able to ask interesting questions which mm. which I you know this is where I, I can absolutely share all kinds of interesting things here tonight but fat fat matters you know fat not only how we look <laughs> mm -hmm. but but how our body functions cool okay so fat matters I think is a great topic yeah, I mean, we, when we chose the topic for our conversation tonight, what's fat got to do with it? Mm -hmm. I'm like, that'll at least give me a placeholder, but fat matters. The fat talk, these are the things that most people don't talk about. And we're going to go where angels fear to tread because we are not talking necessarily about the fat that we carry, but the fat that we take in, that we ingest. And they're connected but there's also, I think, a lot here that we can unpack for people where they're not connected. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can look at the fat that you have on your body as the fat that somehow at some point you did ingest or it converted, you know, from calories. But that, you know, that fat is holding on to toxins, right? It's it's a survival mechanism as well. So the, the fat or anything fat this way or that way ha has that has value. You know, it has value. It tells us something. Cool. All right. So let's take us on the journey because we've got the two different fat tracks. There we go. Mm -hmm. We have two different fat tracks. We have the fat that we carry and what its function is in the world. And then we have the fat that we ingest and the difference it makes. Yes. Yeah. I'll, cool. I'll try to sum it up, Jackie. <laughs> well, which way do you want to go first? Well, let's uh, let's talk about the fat that we ingest. Okay. Let's talk about that. And uh, where, I'll, where I'll probably start with is, and most people to understand is, well, where do we find the fat in our body? I mean, just not the fat that we kind of visually see and pay attention to, but uh, the brain. That's why they call you fathead, right? Fathead. Mm -hmm. yes. Most, well, yeah, you have a fathead, fathead. But the uh, the gray matter that we have up there is mostly dependent on these essential fatty acids, like it, cholesterol too. But it's fat. But every cell in your body, you know, we're made of trillions of cells, and each and every cell is dependent upon fat. These fatty acids, these essential fatty acids. So not all fats are created equal. Is another good title. Uh, so people are familiar with olive oil. They're familiar with butter. They're familiar with uh, fish oil. Uh, they're familiar with seed oils, walnut oil, avocado oil. They're filled with all these. And they, they have a, a recipe within themselves of the different fats. There's mainly three of them. But the idea is the essential fats are the omega-6s and omega-3s. Hold it, hold it. You said there are three. Tell yes. us what the three are, because then you went down to two. So my brain said, wait a minute, I'm missing one. Okay. Yeah. So what, are okay. The three, what are the three fats? Let's go to the three. The three is saturated fat. That's what most people are used to. That's the, the there, it's usually hard at room temperature. It's the coconut fat, the butter. And then the other one is the monounsaturated fats, which most people are familiar with as the olive oils. Got it. Here are the olive oils, the avocado. Then you have the polyunsaturated fats or the PUFAs as they call them. And these polyunsaturated fats within that category is two that they found to be essential for our body, which means we don't produce them and we need them from external sources. And those two are the omega-6 and the omega-3. Oh, cool. Okay. So I never understood this before. So I'm fascinated already. All right. So got those three. Thank you. Okay. So when we get down to the omega-6 and the omega-3, which are the essential, they have such valuable, how can I say it? Um, you know, being, being part of every cell membrane, being in the brain, they're actually global in our body as far as usages. But if to make sense of it, to make logical sense for people, it, it, it helps build uh, our certain hormones that regulates many of the functions of our body, the temperature, all of that. And it helps manage inflammation, which is that big word I mentioned earlier and is a word that's being thrown around, inflammation. 
and inflammation happens in the brain, they'll say, you know, people are depressed, they find inflammation in the brain. When people have cancer, there's inflammation. ADHD, there's inflammation. So inflammation, and I wrote a book on this, I lectured on it for several years, but the idea is there's stages of disease, seven stages. And inflammation is the middle one. It's the turnkey turning point within the body where you'll have discomfort, pain perhaps. Uh, you will have a condition, a diagnosis of a condition, uh, swelling, heat, fevers, infectious, you know, anytime you have infection, you're having inflammatory uh, symptoms, right? Fever, redness, you have an injury, same thing, swelling, heat, redness. It's, it's that that happens. The only thing that kind of comes into play here is quality, you know, quality of the fats. So if we jump out what, you know, from what the body uses it for, I mean, it is a, you know, fat in itself, any fat can be, how can I say, it can be your patty in your body, right? Your lubricant on your skin, but it's the type of fats and the quality of fat that makes the body tick. As one scientist said is in, my, in my walk club, not one is like the other. So if you're missing certain ones, you're missing out. And the only thing with the omega-3 and quality is omega-3 oxidizes. I'm not sure what people understand oxidizes, but if you think of metal and there's you know the rain and the, the oxidizing the air, it rusts, right? Yeah. Oxidizing happens to foods as well when they're exposed to heat, air, you know, light, mm -hmm. and oxygen. And yeah. Is oxidizing food a good thing? It is. Now, how I'm going to explain it, though, I have to, you have to come from doing um, oxidizing food in a composting way is very normal. It's like anything who we want things to be broken down in nature, right? Mm -hmm. Plants, bodies, stuff. But where it's not good is where you're trying to consume it for your nourishment. We say, so there's a difference there. Oxygen can be good, as we know for breathing and in our air, yeah, but then yeah. it can also be problematic, but that's nature. So nature becomes a player in just about anything. Well, there we go. It's what it was designed for and then what we're using it for. Yes. And uh, so oxidizing fats become problematic. I think people are familiar with, but if they're not, antioxidants, right? Antioxidants. Yeah. It helps with the oxidative or free radicals, things that are kind of rambunctious in a way that we don't really need them. And they come in many different ways and shapes and sizes, but the body has to offset that. Yeah, when you say helps, it means it helps get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Got it. It doesn't help them grow and proliferate. It, it's about not having those in our bodies. Yeah, it kind of calms them. So if, if you have to think of free radicals are like little brats running around. <laughs> and then, <laughs> they're like little brats running around and they can come in uh, in many different ways, again, through breathing, uh, through food, 
the and so what happens is you just take the hand of the brat and then the brat is and so the and the antioxidant comes in and it's it, it 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 uh calms that molecule it makes it stable so then it's not causing the damage that we see from free radicals be it cardiovascular or anywhere in the body chemicals or synthetic molecules mm -hmm. you know they don't really they don't really help us be the brick house that's what i will say so if you had to think of your body like a brick house of three little pigs and then you have the straw house depending on if you're missing these fats like researchers as japanese researchers in 600 peer-reviewed studies said that the imbalance of omega-6 to omega-3 in our body is the key reason for all chronic inflammation, including mental illness. It's a Whoa. big statement. That's big. a big statement. You said all. I mean, that's an absolute word. So yeah. it's the imbalance between those two polyunsaturated fats. Mm -hmm. But they're both good. They're both good. So if I had to describe it, you know, through me listening to many others who speak to, to it just didn't make sense that something would be essential and then yet be bad so here's in in the industry the holistic industry quite often people will talk to omega-6 is bad omega-6 is bad you don't want any you don't want omega-6s but omega-6s i'm just going to kind of do an analogy omega-6s create inflammation okay which in presentations people say well isn't that bad cheryl and omega-3 is homologue with their like a married couple you know a male female they're different yet they need each other so the omega-6 causes inflammation needed by the body which i'll explain in a minute and omega-3 actually brings down inflammation so they work together and i can see where balancing could become key Yes. So if you have no omega-3 which is harder to get in our diet and and very susceptible to being oxidized if that is very very low and all you have is unhealthy omega-6s which is what most people have today with vegetable oil so vegetable oil whether it's organic or not they're all refined and this is why i say to people okay you read vegetable oil and your labels and your foods you understand it there and for the most part it says vegetable oil uh, it could be soybean, it could be canola, or they may not say it all. It might just say vegetable oil. And it can say organic or not. But it's all refined. Now you tell me if this sounds attractive. Refined, bleached, and deodorized. What? What? I had no clue. <laughs> that's the vegetable. That's the vegetable oil processing that is that is typically used of your vegetable oil, all vegetable, all seeds, all seeds, soybeans, sunflower, corn oil. Um, and so they all have a different ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. That's a whole other conversation to understand the ratios of food as in that balance as well. But the quality, back to the quality, it matters. It really matters if it's oxidated or not. So what most people are getting is unhealthy omega-6s and little omega-3 or or unhealthy omega-3 right so they're getting unhealthy, both unhealthy meaning it's been refined too much yes oxidized um okay. refining but you can look at it as this if you buy a piece of salmon 
I like to use this as an example for people because they think I'm getting my omega-3s. The polling I did, I'm getting my omega-3s from food here. I'm getting them from chicken, eggs, and I'm getting them from eggs and I'm getting them from salmon. What people don't understand is that the omegas in the eggs are plant. So they don't convert. So we need to convert plant to our mammal. We're mammals, or let's say we're man, and we need to convert the plant. They've got it's got to be converted. Like vitamin, you know, beta carotene is a vitamin A, and it's got to be converted to retinol. And so we have to convert it. Uh, with the egg, it's it's actually plant. It's short, short chain. Not to go into okay. new descriptions. So, so the to make it really simple, what's yeah. in the egg we don't absorb. Right. We would only effectively absorb two, three, four percent if our gut is working properly. Now, most people will agree that they have heard time and time again a dysfunctioning gut is the root cause of all disease, or it's the beginning. It's not the root cause. But it is, it, it shows up there as being dysfunctioning. Every time I, I have asked doctors, experts, specialists all around the world, I, for the last 12 years, I've not discovered anybody who disagrees with that statement. The digestive system is dysfunction every time. So you have to be able to convert. So that's the egg. The other is the salmon, is the other food that most people would say. Okay, wait, 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 we skip the chicken. Yeah. Well, the chicken, the egg, I'm thinking of the egg from the chicken. Okay, so, so there we go. All right, so those yeah. two are the, are lumped together and our bodies don't get what they've got because it's plant, not mammal. Yeah, so there's a joke to wrap that one up. What's the difference between eggs with omegas and without omegas? I don't know. One dollar. Huh? <laughs> it's just a marketing thing. Eggs have always had omegas in it if they eat a sea diet, right? So they, they, chickens are usually omnivores. And so they like, they eat insects. I don't know if anybody remembers the old time cartoons where the chicken is wrestling with a, a worm mm -hmm. in a hole. Uh, so, we're, so, so chickens are actually supposed to be omnivores. They're actually, eat, they love insects and worms. And yeah, they're birds. Seeds. Yeah. yeah. So by eating uh, the seeds, they would have an increase of omegas, but not the right uh, ones or not the ones they're plant. So then if we go to fish and fish is not like us either. But when it comes to salmon, I say to people, do you eat the skin? Like, you know, oftentimes people were buying salmon initially several years ago or more. We're buying salmon, but fillets of salmon. Well, there's no fat there. Yeah, There's fat there. It's the fat is see protein is water, fat is oil, and they don't mix oil and water don't mix. So where the fat is on fish, if people are keenly interested, this is a very important piece. You eat fish twice a week, then you have to understand a couple of things. One, the fats are susceptible to oxidation. That's that smell. So you know when you smell that, you, you got that fishy smell. That's the oxidative fat. You know, this is because the omega-3 oxidizes, which is great for our system within our body because it helps oxygenate our system. So you see how important omega-3 is on that front. But when it comes to salmon, if you don't eat it with the skin on, 
and uh, then you're not getting any because most of the fat is where where would most of the fat be oh yeah it's right oh in the brain in of the, the salmon yes so what little fat that you're getting when you buy the fish is between the skin yeah and the meat right the skin mm -hmm. and the meat is where it is um and so that jelly that fat substance is actually where all the omega-3 is but if it's not um stored properly or eaten properly or uh, cooked properly on low heat you will destroy you know you will you will destroy it okay so, so now we've got yeah. low heat on low heat as opposed to broiling it yes crispy you know how some people like uh -huh. their skin <laughs> crispy um but again it's that short period of time slow slow cook this is when people are actually using fats, I usually guide them to put their fat on their food. I mean, aside from baking it, put it afterwards. So example, stir fry. So you want to stir fry, stir fry your food, use water to do so. Uh, and now they have these pressure cookers that people are using where they don't have to use fat at all, but you need fat. So after that is done, what you do is you toss the fat in after the fact, you know, after the fact. So we're talking about salmon fat. So we would, what? Well, with salmon fat, that's different. Salmon fat, you just slow cook and you don't want to brown it. So that's the thing that becomes understanding if it's oxidized when it turns brown. If it turns even very dark brown, then you have, let's just call it scrambled uh, the molecules, right? Okay, that's yeah. really, really important because I had no clue. And we eat a fair amount of salmon and we always broil it. I mean, I'm from Maryland. We put some Old Bay on there and pop it into the broiler. Yeah, and well, it's, if, it cooks, if it cooks quickly that way and your fish gets cooked, it depends on what the fat looks like. That's why keeping the skin on uh -huh. is protective for the fat in the case of salmon it's very protective okay so if i'm cooking it skin down and the fish gets cooked and nothing turns brown underneath mm -hmm. okay so it's yeah. all right so maybe i'm not too far off i'm, I'm no. feeling better about it now okay. yeah <laughs> yes so it's the that fat is protected by the skin for sure but if people just take fillets of salmon and they're using fillets, they're missing out on the fat because they don't have it under the skin. Oh, yeah. And any what little fat that's in there, which is between the layers, you know, that white mm -hmm. stuff between the layers of the flesh of the fish yeah. would also be a little bit of omega. So there'll be a teeny bit there, but the majority of it's gonna be, it's gonna be in the head. All right, and I don't know anybody who really consumes fish heads right now, so. No. We'll just go with the fact that the best you can do is to not overcook the fat while yeah. you're cooking the flesh. Yeah. So same, uh -huh. same with um, olive oils. The only thing with omega three is it's it, they're not found too much in too many foods. So walnuts is one of them, but again, it's plant. So you got to be able to to do the conversion. So a lot of people move to fish oils yeah because they weren't converting uh when they do tests because you can get tests done to see what your omega profile is you can get that test 
and a lot of vegans and vegetarians in some of the, the conferences that I was privy to watch, uh, they were so low. So let's say if you needed a 70, they were 20. Ah. So it's a matter of convert and stress in itself. Now that big word stress mm-hmm. will interfere with your, your digestive system, you know, mm. just, just immediately. It's like running from a lion. If you think, you know, you don't have time to pick up a fork and nor, nor do you want to eat because it's um, not the first on your mind. You know, it's not, it's not priority. So I think, uh, I think with foods and eating and just to help people be grounded and be more solid and manage inflammation is, yeah, is having the healthy fats, the whole, the whole gamut from saturated to mono to the polyunsaturated. That way, if anybody has dysfunctioning digestive system that they really know, you know, they really know that they do, then uh, then this is where the raw seal oil comes in because it's, it can absorb sublingually because it's mammal like us. Our salivary glands, within our salivary glands, we actually have sublingual glands. Okay. And so if you put the raw seal oil under the tongue, it actually absorbs directly into the bloodstream. And I brought this to a blind person who you should work at work, but she had a couple of health issues. I said, hey, I'm popping in, I'm over here. I'm coming right by your place, I'll pop in. And when she put it in her mouth and held it for five minutes, she actually told me, I didn't tell her what the pathway is and felt it going right directly into her brain. Hmm. Didn't get it on tape, but uh, uh, yeah. So that's, you know, we wanna be able to get any, like the foods, we wanna be able to get the foods and the nutrition from the foods into our body so that it's being able to be used for our optimum energy and our optimum health. So this came from a culture that has a very high fat diet. I mean, chewing blubber is one of the things that the culture that lives up here, you know, they, they absolutely need the insulation. So they consume a lot of fat. Um, I was lucky. I got a little bit of an education. One of my sisters, my sister Millie was a nurse practitioner on the Aleutian Peninsula. So she provided the healthcare for that. And, you know, of course, what they eat is salmon. They don't ship down to us down here in the lower 48. Yeah, we get the mid range. Even our high range is their mid range because they keep the good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and so understanding that the grades of salmon, does it matter? I mean, does it matter whether I'm doing Pacific wild caught, you know, wild caught salmon or Atlantic salmon or, you know, yeah, the, the key thing with fish is, uh, as far as the f- healthy fats, is the cold water fish, right? Which is where we'll talk about salmon, right? Salmon's a cold water fish. So that's important because the cold water fish needs the insulation. And what the Inuit people and have done is they've, they've gotten most of their blubber from the uh, seals. So that's where to them, they eat the whole seal. And I remember uh, usually the elder will get the eyeball, you know, just to kind of make it a juicy conversation here. And uh, but, Not what but, we normally would think of as food. No, no, but 
that that you know when we think about when we think about the organs and we think about even therapeutics, um, if they want if you want to work on your adrenals, what well, the best way is they consume adrenals, right? There's the desiccated um, hormone, like the the glands, right? Desiccated glands. So it's a little you know, we may be a little familiar with that, and maybe you're not, but uh, but the Inuit. When it, get to back to your question about salmon, really, if it's wild caught salmon, you're by far, that's just to distinguish this way, there's farmed salmon, and that's mostly on the East Coast. Because the company I worked for had the farming companies, ah. they really couldn't farm successfully on the West Coast. They never got that. So that's why a lot of the wild salmon is usually from the West Coast. And the farm salmon, not just from our East Coast here as well, there's Chilean as well, and you know from other areas in the world. But yeah, that's really I think the two part. I, I I think it might be just a preference how wild it is, where it comes from, the pinky color, the the flavor. But really, it won't really matter if it's wild. You're going to be better off. Got it. Cool. That's really good to know. Okay, so let's continue on this journey because you said we need it all. We need saturated fats, which is the coconut fat, the butter, things that when it gets cold, it gets hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we need those. And how much do we need? I mean, are we talking a tablespoon a month, a tablespoon a day? You know, how much do we need? Yeah. Well, there's a little bit deceiving part about fat. Usually they'll say fats are double the calories of carbs, but that's not true. That's not true. They only came up with a number and uh, nine, you know, nine calories per, per, per gram or per whatever. And it, it really isn't that at all. So we'll just, <laughs> we'll just put that out there for, for that uh, part. Right. So this um, is not a place to accurately count calories because they've screwed up the system. Yes. Yes. So when people do that, it's, it's like, okay, you're missing out on the boat, but the end of the day is, we need the essential fats. That's what we need. The other ones we don't necessarily need, but they are useful. They are really good for, um, for moving things through our digestive system. And they're, all fats are, can be used as energy. Okay, so I'm gonna just pause because the essential fats are the omega-3s and 6s. Correct. And everything else, the coconut, the butter, the olive, the avocado, these are non-essential, but useful. But useful, exactly. And there is a bit of omegas within those. So when people say, oh, butter's all saturated, that's not entirely true. There's actually, they just say it's saturated because it's mostly saturated, but even olive oil is not all just monounsaturated. There's there's a bit of saturated. And even with the, the seal oil, there's a bit of, you know, a bit of the other ones as well and some cholesterol in there as well. But, but generally speaking, they're useful. They do add flavor to the food as well, but they are a very good source of energy and lubrication for the body. Uh, but they don't get into what I usually call the higher functioning. That's how I kind of segment between the, the two essential fatty acids and the other ones can't do the same as the two essential fatty acids. So there's like a higher functioning there. Okay. Not I, I know that I'm treading where angels fear to go. Yeah. 
but my guy, Mark, uh -huh. yeah, he collects the chicken fat because this is the culture where you make chicken soup and this is like the cure for everything. And it's made from the chicken fat. So is the chicken fat having these essential or mon uh, is it good for me? <laughs> there we go. Well, it's not going to harm you. I mean, within the chicken fat, I mean, there's probably some collagen there too. You know, there's some other things there that, uh, you know, it's just not fat. So collagen has been, it's really, I mean, it's a vain thing as far as skin goes, but it's, it's required, you know, joints and all the connective tissue collagen. So it's very, very good. So it's more in chicken fat than just mm. saying it's fat. There's more there, more there to it. Um, so yeah, no, it's useful. I mean, think of it this way. If you get the chicken yeah. ideally, you know, one of my five finger philosophy is the whole food because the fats help to absorb the fat soluble mineral uh, vitamins like A and D and E, and then the fat soluble vitamins and the fats help absorb the minerals. So when you're looking at foods, it's, it's to eat the whole foods, especially when there's components of proteins and fats. However, uh, I'm going to just step back one now to move forward two paces is when you have these commercialized animals, mm -hmm. right, that, that you're growing, right, that, that uh, farmed, they sometimes have an unhealthy fat composition and balance. So for instance, in the wild, deer may only be 5% fat, mm -hmm. but yet they're fattening up the cows with an unhealthy diet called corn, let's say. And when they do that, they actually bring in more fat into the animal, a greater percentage, let's say 10, 12% double or triple in some cases into that. Now, yes, it is flavor. Yes, it is wasting tenderite it's all of that but when i say whole foods i mean whole foods as they were meant to be you know on their natural diet naturally raised so and this is your free range chicken now uncaged i'm seeing a lot of the labeling for uncaged might mm -hmm. matter yeah absolutely yeah, because if they're in their cages, they're not moving much. They're, you know, they're growing, but there, there might be a protein growth there too as well. And certainly the uh, chickens that are in the barns that are free run, right? So you can have a barn, you can say free run, but it's not outside. And that's the laws in some areas. Oh. When they say free run, you, you can't have outside. See, I, I get what they're trying to do. I mean, it's safety, it's health safety, it's controlling, 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 really not big word, control, control, control. And so it, the fact of the matter is you may not be able to buy a truly free run chicken outside as it's eating its own diet omnivore. They will force it to eat grains, which will create an imbalance. Got it. So it's, it's a challenging thing. I mean, we've be because of our health choices we eat kosher chicken and so you know the the rules of that imply that you know there, there are no hormones there's no antibiotics there's there's a bunch of things that we know are not part of their world mm -hmm. 
but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're out running around in the sunshine. Yeah. And maybe so, short of raising my own, it's just take my best guess. Well, here's the thing, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have all the information about the processing about, um, you know, just how we think about foods, eating it more fresh, you know, more raw in a sense, uh, low cook or slow cook or no cook. And the idea is, when it comes to food, the amount of food you eat is also important, you know, the amount of food, the amount of fat protein, but I wouldn't get hung up on it. If you, if people know what they're eating, and it's closer to whole food, it will be, you know, it'll be a lot better, but it's the mindset around food. So if you're worried about the chocolate cake that you're eating, then that causes more stress on the body, which is why I will do mindful, they call it mindful eating, but it, it's, it's healthier eating habits. Like one of the things, like, you know, I, I would say blood sugars have a lot to do with the way people kind of, you know, stress to, but blood sugars, it all kind of goes hand in hand, um, the whole metabolism field there. And you know, at times when we're we're thinking about stress related to food, we get hung up on the food more than we do on the stress. But there's this connection, this mind, you know, this what they say, uh, brain gut connection, right? And the gut is the second brain, as they call it. And you have this whole system that is connected to your whole body, right? Your, your colon, your large intestine is connected to your whole body. So what kind of go, it's, there's a feed, there's like a feedback loop, right? Mm -hmm. And it's connected. So if things are crazy in the gut, then be it processed foods that you're eating, it causes stress on the rest of the body. And if you're stressed, not necessarily about food, but anything, it hinders the, the processing, you know, the digestive function. Oh yeah, absolutely. When I was, because that's my background as a stress management consultant. And I kept trying to explain to people that when you're triggered, when you're under stress, the two systems in the body that shut down are healing because your body doesn't need to divert resources to healing the scratch you got yesterday if you're trying to avoid being lacerated in the moment. And the other system that shuts down is digestion your body doesn't need to devote resources to digesting your breakfast if you're trying to avoid becoming lunch for somebody else. And in our current day and age, we are stress triggered so often that it's a wonder we can digest anything. Yeah, that seems it's a big issue. And the reason why people go to carbs is because it's, it's easier to convert to energy. You know, it's, it's a very I mean, if, if you need to eat anything, and I remember when I was training for marathons, I did a few of them only, but the idea is an experience is you, you can't eat anything but pure glucose, right? Because your digestive system is not able to, you're running and running means, okay, you're not going to eat. It wouldn't be good for you. You know, you'll get stitches as you say, or a pain in your side. Yeah. So pure glucose, you know, as in we did it in gels, but drink a lot of water. And, you know, that's what it was. But I think too much food is probably a, a big thing too out there. And so I started the no snack movement because my daughter was made to cry at school when her grade six teacher 
she didn't have any snack and he made her cry. So I sat with it for a couple of days and then I send him a nice email because he and I had a chat when we did parent, you know, child interview. And, and so I just educated him because he, he was the fitness teacher too, as well. And so I educated him. Yeah. Most people don't know this. We're, we eating way too much, but even diabetics, you know, they don't really know it. They're eating, you know, three meals and two snacks a day. No, the more food you put in your body, the more insulin you're going to use and the more side effects complications you're going to have from the medicine. So that's really interesting. So are you a proponent of this fasting? Because I'm hearing a lot of people doing the intermittent fasting. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, And there's, it's unique to everybody. Again, I see everybody as unique. You have to, you have to take every case individually for the reasons you do i mean because we could get into 5g conversations we could get into all the healthy you know things that impact our health yeah i come from the eastern healing arts world and so i was exposed to this concept that what's healthy for me to eat is influenced by where i live what i do for work what's happening in my family my blood type you know all of these different, you know, influences my astrological sign. I mean, everything impacts what's the right thing for me to eat when. And it was coming to the understanding that I'm a unique person. The three meals a day at certain times of day does not work well for me. I will put on weight like lightning doing that. Yeah. And I didn't realize that it was because I'm better off to eat after dark. Yeah, and- you, could, you could do that. Some people have what they call the daylight diet. And they'll only eat during daylight. They Now, again, similar to you, say you eat at night or, you know, people are night owls or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is you have to train your body. It's like eliminating a certain time of the day. It's, there's a training, you know, there's an education or whatever. But daylight diet's interesting because when you have the daylight, you produce certain hormones. You're, you're actually going to digest much better uh, that way. And you'll finish through it by the time you wake up. So, right? so there's these cycles that we're going through and digesting and healing and regenerating. And um, yeah, so there's, there's much about that. But I, I don't mind, I mean, when it comes to intermittent fasting or eat when you're hungry, you know, eat, eat when you're hungry. Yeah, very, very simple. We've gotten away from that. And, and because food companies make a lot of money out of you eating. Well, and schools run on timetables. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have a system. And I mean, cruise ships do exactly the same thing. You're going to eat at this time of day. This is when your dinner time is. But what if I'm not hungry? Well, this is when we're serving you dinner. So it's, it's about institutionalized systems. Yes. And I think that that's what, you know, when it comes, when I think about suicide and I think about these feelings that people get, you know, they're feeling mm-hmm. what they're feeling about their life and where they are, um, just the word institutions, right? Educational system, a medical system, um, uh, you know, both parents working, you know, just whole thing around, you know, career, I'll call it career system in some ways, right? It, it, it doesn't serve, you know, it doesn't serve 
our humanity, our relationships, our bonding, our self-love. Like it just that, you know, we're looking outside of ourselves for validation, outside of ourselves for acceptance, outside of ourselves to feel loved when it really comes to self. So food's no different, health, you know, fats are no different. It's, it's what builds you and how you feel. And you have to listen to your body. You know, that's, that's the uniqueness to listen and to be able to share right to be able to share about what you what you're kind of getting without feeling like you're going to be judged you're going to be ostracized or anything you're going to be judged but that doesn't mean you're going to be ostracized yeah i mean let's face it we are judgment making machines yeah Yeah, it takes a little bit to having done metaphysical work now for 10 years it takes a bit to step away from the idea of of judging there's reasons why we do it so you just observe what those reasons are and then it's almost like the resilience part or going above right mm-hmm. and it's, a journey. it's a journey it's absolutely it's a journey. it is oh my goodness okay so okay. we've taken a journey into the world of fat and we really just sort of scratch the surface is is what i feel because there's a richness pardon the pun, there's a richness of information here. Um, It's not just about the flavor of food. It's not just about the nutrients. It's also about the culture. Mm -hmm. And so the good news is for those who like the coconut fat, for those who like the butter, for those who like the avocados and the olive oils. Yeah. I mean, and now wait a minute, I have a question because you said specifically olive oil and avocado oil Mm -hmm. what about avocados yeah no avocado the foods themselves will have it in it as well yeah yeah that's uh to eat avocados would be a a combination that's the whole food essentially you you would get there's not too much water there but you 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 get you get all the other stuff that comes with with uh, the whole food avocados but they do oxidize i mean it comes to quality for sure, organic as much as possible. That's just healthy for the planet. Um, But a good olive oil, uh, you will taste the difference between a good organic olive oil. Usually they have these, what I suggest people is go to, there's certain stores out there, uh, all uh, emporiums like olive oil emporiums or olive oil taste testing places. If you go, if you find one of these places and you taste the quality of those oils, you know, you taste the pepperiness, you taste the, the antioxidant part, uh, you know, it's got a more of a stronger taste. You taste those flavors. When you go and taste the regular stuff in the store, you'll see the difference, right? So quality has to be, has to be a thing because people have sensitivities, right, to things and they use toxins and certain things in producing fats as well so that if some toxins are picked up by the toxins that have on the seeds or whatever or aflatoxins right molds and stuff on grains but at the end of the day quality makes a difference there we go at the end of the day when it comes to fat quality matters quality matters yes (laughs) well thank you for having the fat conversation with us tonight cheryl i could not be more delighted this was a wonderful journey And for everyone, if you've got questions about fat in your world, your fat, the fat you're eating, the fat that people are telling you to eat, 
you can grab a 30 minute call with Cheryl. Cheryl, this is an amazing. Yeah. I mean, it really, really is. So the link is in the chat. The link will be in the show notes if you're watching this as a recording and put in the passcode. When you book your call, put prevention in the comment box so that Cheryl knows that you were part of this conversation, that you have this basic understanding. It will make your conversation with her much more um, valuable, much more valuable to you because she'll know what you know if you've watched this. And so it'll save you some time and that's really valuable. So Cheryl, thank you so, so very, very much. Oh my goodness, what a great conversation. Now, I'm going to book a call because I've got more questions. So <laughs> welcome, welcome to, that'd be great. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for all you do. I mean, at the end of the day, this has been a very, uh, it's very informative. And for people who, uh, who can, I think everybody can benefit actually from it, you know, the awareness. Well, that's the goal. And so the goal of the suicide prevention movement, which is part of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, is to normalize the conversation and to bring into awareness solutions that are stigma-free. That's our whole goal. Now, our process is hosting the show. So thank you very much for being on the summit and through gathering real-time data so that we can use this to petition the governments to get them to fund pure prevention programs. Mm -hmm. and more intervention programs. Because while they're funding some in each, I mean, it's minimal on the pure prevention side. They just started demanding, requiring, I've forgotten the right word, that social emotional learning be part of the public school system curriculum. So mm -hmm. that's coming and that's a pure prevention program. But it's one out of thousands of possible pure prevention programs, which mostly fall under the heading of personal development and yeah. health. Yeah. And then the intervention programs are needed and they are way underfunded as well. And Cheryl, I almost lost it when I realized that there's money waiting to fund suicide prevention programs and they're not spending it because the efficacy of the intervention programs is not good. Right. They're not able to show that it's working. And so that's why we're on this mission with the society to gather the real time data so we can show the government that pure prevention programs work. And so that's why we want everyone to engage in this conversation. And as far as I'm concerned, the fat conversation is part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it really does help people be uh, be grounded in thinking and thinking at a level where they're not foggy. So they really have they have they have that brick house. You know, they have that brick house, and there you know there's something interesting that happened to me. And you know how they say you ask the universe, and you be careful what you ask for. And uh, I remember with clients, having clients, both suicidal and depression, they're two different things, right? They're two different things. So for one day, I was given what depression feels like. And for one day, I was given what suicide feels like. And I asked people, 
even outside of my practice, what this feels like. And they're two different things. The suicide, you absolutely felt like you were alone. Like it was such a, a such a significant, whereas depression almost felt like more uh, sadness, you know, can't take your pillow, your head off the pillow. Um, and there was really a significant difference. You, it's, um, it's almost like you're going around the world and nobody knows and you're acting normal, more normal than if you're depressed. Depressed, you almost see it um, and you can recognize it for if a person's changed behaviors and weepy and stuff like that. But for, for I mean, I'm just going to claim it was just one day. I mean, yeah, so one yeah. day is just one day. But at the end of the day, there was a significant difference. So maybe some have a combination of both. I'm not familiar with that. It's very interesting that you bring this up. And so we'll just take this last five minutes and go here. Mm-hmm. The distinction that you mentioned is absolutely valid. That suicide is alone and suicide. And we had this discussion a couple of times because when someone decides to take their own life, they actually believe they are doing this in service to the people around them, that the world would be better off without them. And they're in so much pain that they have gotten to a point where this seems to be the only solution. Yeah. The only, that's what it feels like. It's the only option there's. Yeah. So it was, I even mentioned it to my daughter because she approached me, we were in the kitchen and I mentioned to her, I was, and I came back out to my office. I was a bit aware of it versus the depression, a little bit aware of it. And she did nothing. Now she was 14 at the time and she did absolutely nothing. So I just was guided to say something that would give her a clue about how, how I was feeling. And I knew though, I was more aware of, of that particular scenario than the depression several months before, but people don't respond to it. It's almost like it may be blocked in people to think that it's- um, We're not taught how to respond. And so we get the deer in the headlights. It can't be real. And anything I say is gonna make it worse. As soon as I, and this is the, the telling thing, as soon as I validate that you're feeling suicidal, it almost feels like I'm giving you permission. And this is where people struggle because we're not taught how to respond. Yeah, I think and, that was the biggest thing. Yeah. yeah. They don't know how to respond. They don't know what to say to it. They're and lost. This is why we ended up creating the Suicide Prevention Advocate Program so that people know how to respond because an intervention specialist is not always available. Mm -hmm. And even with the 800 numbers and the 24 hours and seven days a week, sometimes you've got one shot to say one thing. I mean, we're not here to teach people how to be intervention specialists. God willing, you will never have to talk someone off a ledge. But if anyone is willing to open up and say they're having thoughts of suicide, knowing what to say is so much better than silence because Mm -hmm. silence leaves them in the negative echo chamber in their head. And that is where the plans get made at a subconscious level. Yeah, yeah. 
it's really a telling conversation. And it's sneaky. Depression can be sneaky. People can be actually dealing with depression and not know it for decades. Hmm. They can be carrying a depressive point of view. They can be depressing thoughts. They can be depressing emotions. They can be struggling with what they now label as uh, seasonal affected disorder, which is the body's natural response to winter. Yeah. This is an evolutionarily sound response to the lack of sunshine and cold. Our ancestors hunkered down and didn't move very much because there wasn't a lot of food. They needed to conserve their energy. The wiring is the same in us today. We just don't have a lot of opportunities. This is human hibernation. That's the origins of depression. And it is so misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And once you start to understand it, then the pathway out of it is simple. But until you understand it, you probably don't even know if you're struggling with it. Yeah. I was diagnosed with two bouts of clinical depression. Looking back at my history, I have had depression sessions, de de depressive cycles, going back as young as age eight, because it was when I was eight that my body weight shifted from being really thin to being really round in one summer. Mm -hmm. And nobody picked up on it. But if I look at my high school pictures, my picture of myself as a sophomore compared to a junior, the obviousness to me now, looking at those pictures that in my junior year, I was struggling. Hmm. But nobody saw it then. Yeah. Nobody saw it then. I didn't know it then. We're just really not taught how to be self-aware enough to know what we're dealing with. And so that's all part of this journey. And so thank you so much, Cheryl, for being part of the show. My pleasure.